0: For the past several weeks on Sunday evening, I've been discussing with you the doctrine of servanthood. What I believe to be the whole theme of the New Testament that is developing the role of the servant, serving others and serving God. We talked about how to give as a servant gives, where he recognizes that none of this over which he he has been given stewardship really belongs to him. We talked about how to forgive like a servant forgives, holding no resentment or grudges, but lovingly reaching out in forgiveness. We talked about how to forget as a servant forgets. And we sought to see it all in light of the greatest servant who has ever lived, Jesus himself, who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many and to understand that every believer has called to be a servant, servant to God and to his fellows. But man is not inclined to servanthood, that's repulsive to the flesh. There has to be more incentive, I suppose, to a believer than just the example of Jesus. Just, just because he commands it, there must be some other incentive because we are not drawn to servanthood, we are repelled by it. And so that's where brokenness comes. If you have your little insert, I want you to lay it on your lap because it might be helpful. I would use a blackboard, but the choir couldn't see it. They would be, they might nod on, off on me back there. So use a little insert there. Man is a physical and a soulish and spiritual being. In his body, he relates to the material world around him. That aspect of man we call that which enables man to have world consciousness. The body is the sight of the senses. He hears and he sees, touches, tastes, and smells. And so, with his body in the, and with his senses he relates to his physical world around him he is a physical being he is a soulish being the soul comprises the mind that is the intellect the will and the emotion it's the part of man that we label self-consciousness with his soul man understands himself and he understands others it is the sight of the personality because personality has mind and will and emotion and man has a spirit in his spirit he, he communes with God and only in his spirit is he able to comprehend and, and worship God It is the part of man we label as God consciousness. So God dwells in man's spirit and the personality dwells in man's soul and the five senses dwell in his body. Now watch this. By his spirit and in his spirit, man holds intercourse with the spiritual world and the spirit of God and only by the spirit and in the spirit. It is in the spirit that he receives and he expresses the life and the power of the spiritual. And in his body he relates to the physical world, the scene, the sensual world. Standing between these two great worlds is his soul, his essential self, his personality, his ego, his, the, the real I or whatever you would, however you would define it. And the soul of man is the pivotal part of man for the soul has the power to choose whether the spiritual realm or the physical realm will reign. In order for the Spirit of God to be co- in control over my life, I have to give consent to that in my personality. Sometimes man operates solely on a physical level, from a physical, in a physical realm. He just reacts to his senses. Sometimes he operates solely on a soulish realm. That is, he he reasons and he intellectualizes, he rationalizes the right course of action. He discerns with his mind and the experience he has and the common sense and he makes decisions solely from an intellectual level. He operates on that basis. That's the way he operates his business, etc. And sometimes out of his soulish being, he operates, he, he, he operates from the realm of the emotion. He, he lives on the basis of how he feels. If it feels good, he does it. You've seen the bumper sticker. That's the way he lives his marriage out. He, he, he operates on the basis of his moods. If he feels like this, he does it. Sometimes that's the way he lives his religion. He serves God if he feels like it or he goes to some revival meeting and there's a great emotional experience and he gets really emotionally high and he lives in the emotion of that in the afterglow of it until that emotion wanes. And sometimes he operates solely on the basis of his will, out of the soul he operates on the basis of his will. He knows this is what he should do He's told he has a responsibility to God and so he grits his teeth and he just gets after it. He starts serving God just out of the pure determination of his will. Like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, he just does it because he's supposed to do it. There's no spontaneity in it. There's no joy in it. There's no power in it. There's no release of the of the Christ life in his life. There's no release of the spirit there. There is no joy, no reigning there. He just does it because he knows he's supposed to do it, and he grinds out his religious faith day by day, day by day, in sheer determination. And then there's the spiritual man who operates his life, he lives his life both in the material realm and in the religious realm he operates his life by the spirit and under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Now the spirit of man is the sight of his conscience that is the discerning organ of a man, his conscience. It means that he has a deep sensitivity to what is right and what is wrong. He is deeply aware that this is right and this is wrong. The spirit of man is the sight of what Watchman Nee calls the intuition. It's that knowing that's down deep in him. He just knows it to be true. He just knows down in his intuition. It's deeper than his intellectual knowledge for sometimes it, is even, it even goes against what, is, what seems to, to make common sense and rationale. But he just knows that this is the word of God for his life. He just knows that this is the will of God for him. Sometimes people, young people will ask me, how do you know what God's will for your life is? I don't know how to define that Really? How do, you, how do you explain that until you've experienced it? You just can't define that kind of sensing that, that is independent of any other, all other senses. It's just knowing down in the deep of you that this is right and you know it's right. That happened to me not long ago. It doesn't happen all the time, I'm sad to say, but... On my knees up in the choir room not long ago I was seeking the will and mind of God concerning a matter and I just knew in my heart in my spirit that this was right God communicated this to me I just knew there deeply it was right it's kind of like the new birth you just know you've been saved now everything might militate against that I mean the uh, humanist might say, humanistically speaking, this is impossible, but down in your spirit, you know that you've been quickened. You know you've been born again. And the spirit is the site of communion. Communion means worshiping God. In a man's spirit, he communicates with God, he communes with him. Now, notice what happens when a man lives from the realm of his spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit. Every action, every service, his whole life is lived on the basis of knowing that this is right, as opposed to wrong, that this is good as opposed to evil, he operates on the basis of his communion with God. God communicates to his spirit and he operates on that basis so that everything he does is living out what God has spoken to him in his spirit, what the Holy Spirit communicates under the Holy Spirit's control. Now the Bible says that that temple of God had three parts to it there was the outer court where everybody came to worship even the Gentiles there's where the formal sacrifices were made in the outer court then there was the holy place where only the priests were allowed to go they were near God there but they were outside the veil for there was that third place that third realm it was called the holiest of places it was called the holy of holies and it was a place of absolute pitch darkness. It's the place where God dwelt, dwelt above the mercy seat. It was the place that only the high priest could go. And he only one time a year. The holiest of holies. And everything that happened in the temple was the result of the revelation that took place in that total darkness in the holiest of holies. Now to live from the Spirit... Under the control of the Holy Spirit is to live your life out on the basis of the revelation of God in the spirit of man under the control of the Holy Spirit. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus, really. For he lived by his spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where brokenness comes to play. That's where it comes in. Now hang right in here and listen carefully. Brokenness is the process. Are you listening? Brokenness is the process that God uses to bring man to the place where he lives from or by his spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit. Brokenness is the process. It's what God does to bring us to the place where we are absolutely dependent upon Him for our life and action and service. It's what God does to bring us to the end of self, to utter dependence upon Him. For confidence in the flesh is fatal to confidence or trust in God. And God cannot release his power in our life until we come to the end of self, until there is brokenness. Man is full of himself, of his ambitions and goals and drives and and self-judgment, value judgments so full of himself that there is no room for God. And God cannot come in in deeper reality until there is a divesting of our selfish desires and aims and goals, until there is an utter self-emptying. Brokenness is the process whereby man is brought to utter dependence upon God. It's the release of the Holy Spirit. Now it is a planned process. You see, God never works at random. He knows just what I need in my life, just where He needs to apply the pressure for me to abandon myself to Him. He knows just where to apply the pressure. If I'm depending upon my God given talents and abilities, that's where He will apply the pressure. If I'm trusting in my own ability to intellectualize and discern, that's where He begins to go to work. If I'm depending in pride upon the applause of others, that's where He begins to apply the pressure. He knows just where to go to work. He knows the very thing this morning that stands in your life between Him and utter dependence upon Him. He knows just what's in your life that is keeping you from living by the Spirit. It is a perpetual process. I'm I'm absolutely convinced of that. God never gets in a hurry. He's willing to work with you for a lifetime just to bring you to two or three important things. I'm gonna share with you in just a minute the, the story of a man who is 70 years old that just now God has just really begun to use in his life. All of this time he's been at work bringing him to that place. It's a perpetual process. It's a painful process. Let me tell you something. Giving up some things in our life on which we've always depended and, and in which we've always trusted, giving up those things is not is painful it's not painless laying down the self at the feet of the Lord is painful self will not be laid down before God without a struggle pride will not be pushed aside without a battle it's a painful process but I'm here to tell you that there can be no maximum usefulness to God until that happens are you willing for God are you willing to take your hands off of yourself to the point where you're able to say Lord I just want to be used whatever it takes are you willing to say that and know that maximum service requires maximum brokenness there's never been a man who experience brokenness more than the Apostle Paul. Last Sunday night, we looked at the consequences of his servanthood. Look at those in the 11th chapter sometime. Nobody has ever experienced brokenness like this man experienced it. And never has there ever been a man save Jesus who knew God in a deeper reality than the Apostle Paul. And when a person prays and cries to God, Oh Lord, use me, use me. And I think they really mean that down deep inside, but they may not really understand what that's going to require if He really uses them or uses me. If there's really maximum usefulness, it means that God is going to begin the process to bring me to the end of myself. And that's almost frightening. For I'm convinced that some of us had rather just be used of God just a little bit and do it out of our own strength and out of the flesh and out of our own abilities and our own mind, rather than to have God begin to move in and begin to shape up and and sand off all the other things and get to the place where He can control us. I'm convinced that most of us would rather for God just use us just a little bit than to use us in maximum usefulness because we don't want God in control of our life. We're honest with ourselves. There was that five loaves and two fishes that they brought to Jesus before it could feed the five thousand. You know what it had to. What they had to do? They had to break it. Jesus had to break it. And that woman came to Jesus with that alabaster box of spikered perfume. It was in that little container. Before that perfume could, could anoint the body of Jesus and its fragrance bless those who are around her he had to break that she had to break that box before that little grain of wheat can can sprout and bear fruit it has to be it has to die that outer shell that contains that germ has to be broken And all of this, perhaps many of these, all of these things that God has given us that are God-given abilities and talents on which we've always depended, God has to break that before He can really use us. Now I must say this morning what brokenness is not. Now you've got to hear me at this point. Because I've been misunderstood on this so many times, it's pathetic. Brokenness in the first place is not becoming perpetually unhappy. I mean miserable. It's finding the deepest kind of joy that man will ever know. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Brokenness is not being reduced to nothingness. It's being being brought to the place where you were meant to be. It's, being, it's releasing that which, is, which God has uh, equipped you, and w- with which God has equipped you. It's becoming like Jesus. And who is there willing to say this morning that Jesus was a nobody? If someone came to you and said, I want to make you the greatest man who ever lived. I want to put your name in history so that you'll never be forgotten. You'd say, I'm ready for that. That's what Jesus wants to do. He comes to you this morning and he said, I want to make you the greatest man who has ever lived. I want to put you down in the, in the annals of history so that no one will ever forget you. I want to do that to you. Are you willing for that? Are you ready for that? Of course you are. I want to be great, famous. I want to be for, never forgotten. Well, that's exactly what he wants to do in your life. And in order for him to do that, there has to be brokenness. It's not being reduced to nothingness. It's Finding what it's like to be like Jesus. Um, A brokenness is not misery. It's not loss. It's gain. It's finding your life, you see. It's coming to the place where God, becoming like the person God wants you to be. Now, before any of us are able to say, Lord, I want to be used. I want to be broken. Let me give you some promises and I'll just brush them. I know my time is almost gone. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be fair with you and, and loyal to that time. If you'll just give me these last 10 minutes. Brokenness is grounded in love. Whatever God does in your life, He does it in love. Now the picture that devil would conjure up in your mind concerning brokenness of God is God has this big long black whip and he's just standing over you frowning and growling and, just, and you're just a slave, uh, groveling in the dust, cowed and beaten. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I cannot embrace that concept. He said, I, I abhor that idea. He said, every time I hear the term brokenness, I think of those hellfire preachers that used to preach when I was a child, and they just pictured God in anger, you know, I'm just scared to death of Him. You don't have to be afraid of God. Whatever God does in anybody's life, He does in love. The thorn is not an instrument of torture, nor is it punishment in this text. It's an instrument of love. Paul said, he sent a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Isn't it marvelous that the God who shapes the universe can change his enemies into his servants? He took Cyrus, the pagan king, and made him a servant. He took the brothers of Joseph and used them for his plan. And he took this thorn and he made it an instrument of love. And what we want to do when brokenness begins to take place in our life, where God begins to bring us to the end of ourselves, what we want to do is to get out of that. We say, Lord, I can't stand it. Let me out of here. To remove the thorn in Paul's life would have been poorer compared to having its presence sanctified. To having this messenger of Satan he called him uh, removed would have been poor compared to having him become a minister of God. Everything God does, He does in love. Secondly, the second promise, brokenness is guarded with limitations. There hath no temptation, no testing ever occurred to you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tested beyond your able. God knows just how hot the furnace has to be for the gold to be refined. He knows just how much pressure has to be applied before the vessel can be formed in the shape of his hand. He knows just how much brokenness, how much pressure to apply. He's guarded by limitations. Sometimes you may may say, Lord, you're going too far. This, I can't stand, I can't endure this. That's where foreknowledge comes to to be. That's where omniscience comes in. God knows just what we need to make us the vessel He wants of us. Um, Brokenness in the third place is guided learning, guided knowledge. Whatever God does in your life, He does to teach you something better. Hear me now, listen carefully. Until a man comes to the end of himself, God can't teach him a thing. I've noticed in my own experience, and I'm the only one I can talk for sure about, that I've learned more lessons about the love of God when I've lost some love, the love of something or whatever it was, than at any other time in my life. I've learned more lessons about the abiding faithfulness of God in my life after I have felt rejection than at any other time. I have found in my own experience more about God's ability to take care of me when I was absolutely brought to the place where I wasn't able to handle it financially or any otherwise than at any other time in my life. That's called teachableness. And sometimes we depend upon our ingenuity and our charisma and our persuasive power to manipulate other people. And we depend upon this and upon that, our abilities and our talents. And God looks upon our abilities and our talents as trash. And God says, I want those things. Dedicated to me, given to me, and then let me operate on the basis of your talents and abilities under control, under uh, you under my control. Then I'll use you. It's guided learning. There's a fourth promise, and that is the guarantee that he'll always be there with us. I know there are times in my experience, how about yours, where you felt like the psalmist, like a pelican in the wilderness, like a lonely sparrow watching on a rooftop. I mean abandoned. I've prayed this prayer and I've shared it last Sunday night and I'll say again this morning that I've prayed this prayer often many times, sometimes at least. Oh God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? There are times I think in the Wilderness is the spiritual dryness of our own walk, that God withholds His conscious presence from us in order to teach us how utterly dependent we are upon that presence. Right? God withholds His conscious presence from us in order to show us that we cannot live without Him. And we're abandoned in a world just with ourselves and and what Jean-Paul Sartre calls with no exit until we realize how much we have to live every day in light of God. The last promise of this introductory message from the Lord is that brokenness will be gratified in victory. Brokenness will be gratified in victory. When that process of brokenness begins, you'll want to get out of it. You'll want to say, Lord, let me out of this. As you allow God to take out of of your life those things on which you have depended, until you abandon yourself to Him, you'll begin to see a difference in the way you live at home. You'll begin to see a difference in the way you teach your Sunday school class. There will be an anointing upon that word. You'll begin to see a difference in the way you relate to other people. There'll be love that will just emanate from you. There'll be a difference in the way you look at life, in the way you live your life. There'll be a difference. You'll be gratified in victory. So the Apostle Paul said, I just rejoice. I'm glad for these, these weaknesses, for this brokenness, because I know that in brokenness God's power is released in my life. Oh, I want that, don't you? God's power released in my life. God's power released in my marriage, my parenting. God's power released in my preaching. God's power released in my ministry, my servanthood. God's power released in the way I live. You know, God always provides. I was wondering about an illustration for this sermon at the end. I went home Friday afternoon to help get ready for the college fellowship tonight. Just as I got home, Joanne called to say that a couple from North Fort Worth had come to see us. Be prepared. They're on their way out to the house. This man, I remembered him. He, he was, he's a 70-year-old man. Uh, he doesn't look 70, but he is. He was a kind of a peripheral uh, Christian uh, as far as ministry and service in my church at North Fort Worth. I remember where he sat. He was always present for the services, but he never was really involved. He certainly wasn't a leader. Um, we had heard from them several times. They kind of looked at me, looked on me like a son, I think. And uh, we heard that they were in a, in, a, in a bad accident in Fort Worth, a car wreck. Now, be sure and know this, that I don't believe God caused that, have them to have a car wreck for any reason. I don't think that's the way God operates. But they were in this terrible accident. Somebody pulled out at a stoplight and hit them broadside, and his neck was broken. And, and he should be dead, really. In fact, the doctors told him, he said, a man of your age had what, what you had, you know, they just don't live. But he did live. And they put him in what is called a halo. I imagine some of you—I've never seen one. Showed pictures of it, but this is the way that thing worked. They drill—they drill two holes in his skull right here, and they screwed, literally screwed, screws right into that to the skull right there, and right back here. He—he he made me put my finger there, and there's two big old holes right there where those bolts were, screws. And they attached what is like a halo, showed pictures of it. It's a piece of metal about that wide, around his head, on, onto those screws, and attached it down to braces, down and around his uh, uh, chest, so that he just had this bumper, really. That's what I call it a bumper, around his, around his head. And it was braced so that he could not move his neck for three months. And he said, Gerald, this guy has a speech impediment, and, 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 and when he got to talking, he's just, he has totally different, you know, he's just, he was just a ball of fire. He was just dynamic. Virgil Dean, you remember them, uh, uh, Lee? He said, I've been, I've been a- unable to sleep for 17 days. He said, I just kind of nod. I was taking codeine heavily. He said, I was really suffering. And he said, one night I was at home, he said, I've been praying all these 17 days, you know. He said, I've been praying, God, you know, help me out here, help me, give me some relief. And he said, that night, he said, I was sitting up on the edge of my bed after the 17th day. And he said, "I, I was praying, he said, I was calling on God. He said, I prayed for about an hour and a half. And, and he, he, he told me what he, how he interpreted it. I didn't agree with his theology in total, in total but he told me how he interpreted all this, all this, and I'll not share that with you. What he said was, I had never really ever just told God he could have everything in my life. I had just never really ever, he said. Sounds strange from this man. I didn't even know he understood that. You know. He said, I had never really ever, ever said to God, You can have everything about me. But he said about an hour and a half, he said I was pouring out my heart to God and I was saying, God, I'm not going to ask you for help anymore. I'm not going to ask you for financial help. I know I'm in trouble financially and I'm physically and I can't sleep but I just want you to know that you have my attention and I want you to know that you have my life, every bit of it. And he said, Gerald, God moved in to my room. He said, I'd never ever experienced the presence of God before like that. He said, I had my eyes closed. But he said, I know if I had opened, opened my eyes, I would have seen him standing there, the Lord. He said, I didn't have to open my eyes to see him. I knew he was there he said I could have reached out what he's talking about I didn't have to operate on the senses that's what he was saying he said I could have reached out and if I'd have reached out my hand he said I know I would have touched his bones just like I'm and he preached over and he felt his leg he said I know I would have touched him just like that but he said I didn't have to he said God moved into my room that night and he said I experienced the controlling, the moving in, the taking over of God my life. Then he got a little emotional. He said, he said, you can tell anybody you want to tell. I was thinking to myself, boy, you don't know how timely this is. God sent you by just for this. I hadn't even seen the guy in months. He said, you can tell anybody you want to tell. If I live, he said, as long, if I live to be the age of, Methuselahs, he called it. If I live up to be the, the, the age of Methuselah, what he meant, he said, I'll never, I'll never regret what has happened to me. He says it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. He said, I, I rejoice in what has happened to me. He said I'm grateful for what has happened to me. He said I'm a man that I've never been before. I've I've an experience that I've never had before. He said I'm able to. I'm able to witness now," he said. "I've never been able to share faith, my faith, with anybody." He said, "I'm just telling everybody I know about the Lord." And that's what it means to be broken. Would you bow your heads with me, remembering this? That when a person gives his life to God, you know, and when he's when he's willing for God to experience, to willing for God to break him. Just remember that God is responsible for the consequences of that obedience. Pray with me now. Father, in our heart, of hearts, in our spirit, there leaps up in us the joy of the very prospect of being sold out, yielded to God, to the control of the Holy Spirit so many things father that have happened to us they're just you just want to use to say to us i want you i want all of you and father we confess that we we are so prone to live on the basis of of the flesh And I pray, God, today that you'll raise up a pastor and a people who live under the control of the Holy Spirit and in the realm of the Spirit that has been quickened by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you'll begin in us the desire, the burning desire, to know absolute surrender and dependence upon God. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, in the spirit of prayer, the invitation is for Christian people today to come. Maybe not to say, I'm not ready, uh, not to say, I'm ready for that. You may, you probably not. But maybe to say, I know that I'm not yielded to God. I know there's so much in my life that is not yielded to God. I want it to be. Or to place your life here because you feel God down in your heart of hearts, down in your spirit. You just know this is where God wants you to be a member. God has spoken. Would you come right now while we stand and while our choir sings on these invitations.